Testing. All right. <laughs> well, I have a special prayer for Jeannie. Uh, she's in, up in Salt Lake City, and uh, they detected cancer in her body, so we're going to lift her up and ask God to heal her. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, lift Jeannie up, Lord, to you. Lord, you're our everything. You're our all in all. Lord, you're our great physician. Lord, you're our healer. Lord, you hear our cries. Lord, it's our desire and our heart, Lord, that, she, that you would remove all this from her body. Lord, that you would just make her whole again. Lord, that you would just remove every uh, cell that's not right. Lord, that you would just uh, restore her. Lord, be with her, be her comforter. Lord, and just uh, comfort the family. And Lord, and just uh, let this be a testimony of your greatness and your glory. Lord, uh, gosh, we love Jeannie so much, Lord, and we just uh, love that family. Lord, but you love them more. Lord, and uh, you mean nothing but good for those that love you. Lord, uh, we just uh, lift this time up in your word, Lord, that you would be glorified in this place. Lord, uh, that you would just, uh, as we open up our Bibles, Lord, that you would walk us through. Lord, that you would teach us your ways. Lord, that you would reveal your heart to each and every one of us, Lord, that we would know you more. Lord, that, uh, that we, we would see you on every paragraph, every page. Lord, uh, that you would just uh, bless this time we have together, Lord, your saints. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to uh, Philippians chapter 3. You know, it is often easy to forget why we do what we do. You know, why we walk the walk, why we run the race, why we serve the Lord. And uh, sometimes we can lose heart. And that's easy to do. And sometimes we can lose focus of why we do all the things that we do. I mean, I can touch you. I can hug you. But I can't touch the Lord. And I haven't seen heaven. Paul's seen it, and he says it's, it would be a sin to describe it. But I do know this, God has laid heaven in my heart. That desire, that yearning. And he's promised each and every one of us that he's prepared a place just for us. All I know is I don't feel at home here anymore. I feel more and more that yearning for my heavenly home. And Paul says this, he says, you know, your citizenship is in heaven. And more and more I realize how loosely I need to hold on to the things here on earth. I feel out of sorts, I feel out of place, like I don't fit. 
and I feel more and more like this world I'm just passing through. And God has given that to each and every one of us, that yearning, that there's something better, something that God's preparing for each and every one of us. Verse 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. You know, Paul reminds us it is all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. In writing this, Paul was in prison in Rome, chained to a Roman guard. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. And more and more, I realize that I don't rejoice in my trials. I don't rejoice in my situation. I don't rejoice. I get hit by a car. I don't rejoice in in my busted, mangled up car. But I can, in the situation, in the trial, in the circumstance, I can rejoice in the Lord. Because he will see me through it. And I had to think, with Paul being chained to this guard, who was really chained to who? Because this was 12 hours, this guy was chained to Paul, and Paul's going, wow, what an opportunity. This guy can't leave me, no matter what I say. Verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcised who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. Again, he says rejoice. You know, he says beware of dogs. And, and, and what the Jews would do, they always looked at the, at the Gentiles as dogs. And they referred to them as dogs. And Jesus even said that. Should I give to the dogs? And take from the children of Israel. But Paul was turning it around here. And he was calling the Judaizers that were coming into the church. And teaching circumcision. Oh it's Jesus. But you need to be circumcised also. And you need to keep the law of Moses. And he said these guys that bring in another gospel. They are accursed. And right here, he calls them mutilators and dogs. I used to read this, and I used to think, Paul's bragging a little bit, but he wasn't bragging at all. He was saying, we are of the circumcision, but these guys are dogs. Now, Paul taught enough times about circumcision. He says, in and itself is nothing. It's meaningless. It's cutting of the flesh. What God looks at is our heart. And, and circumcision was a, was a sign that they were set apart for God. And circumcision was that sign that they were cutting away the sin of their life. It's sort of like water baptism. Water baptism in itself is nothing. You get wet. 
we go down to the city pool or, or we go down to uh, Slagger's and we jump in chlorinated water. Well, if it was holy water and if it was something, well, then everybody jumping off the high dive would be blessed, wouldn't they? But it's an outward testimony of what's already gone on in our heart. We're telling the world, Jesus has made me clean. And saying, I have a change of heart. Speaking of dogs, you know, I, I was thinking, he wasn't talking about, we have a little dog at home, his name's Dexter. He's a cute little house pet. And when we think of dogs, we think maybe our house pet. But what was used to roam around in Israel was vicious, snarling dogs. They were biting, growling, snapping at everyone and didn't belong to no one. The more and more we grow, the more I, I, I'm aware of our need to be a guard of dogs in the church, of evil workers, of those that come in and mean harm to the body of Christ, those that come in with false, false teaching, those that come in and want to teach our children and mean harm to our children. The more and more we have to keep our eye out for those that want to cause division in the body of Christ. And we've already experienced it and had to deal with it. And the more and the more we grow, it's not that little <laughs> knit-fit little group of vagabonds we used to be. We're growing and growing, and God is blessing our fellowship. Teachers who come in and mean harm. People who come in and do nothing but cause division in the body that bring in all kinds of false doctrine. And we have seen it already. Paul said to Timothy, deceitful workers having the form of godliness but denying its power and from such turn away. And what Paul was talking about is really a close description of much of the church today. Those that have a form of godliness but deny its power. And Paul said, stay away from them. And he goes on to say, verse 4, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks they may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul was letting them know, if anyone could be saved by the law, I'm your man. I'm ahead of the pack. I'm the best there is. If anyone can say, it is the law, I'm your man. He says, of the bloodline, I'm a, I'm a pedigree. I'm the best there is. The best of the best. As far as the Levitical law, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. 
Jesus said in Matthew 5, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you can by no means enter the kingdom of God. Verse 7, he says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Paul Paul had just told the Philippians, I'm the best there is. As far as the righteous law, righteousness in the law, I'm blameless. And he says, I count it all loss for Christ. And the truth is, he lost everything. He gave up everything. His position as a Pharisee, his stature, his reputation, his position, the money that went with it. He said, and I count it all loss for Christ. I remember about 25 years ago, my mother was dying and I was physically a mess. I was drinking on a daily basis. And I was in the hospital seeing my mother. I was using drugs. And I didn't see no way out of it. And uh, the doctor came in to, my, to, the, to the room and said to me and my sister, we don't know what's wrong with her. All we know is we don't think she's leaving the hospital. And he said, we have a little chapel downstairs. If you'd like, you guys can go down and pray for her, but there's nothing we can do. And I remember going down, both me and my sister went down and, and, uh, and prayed. And God answered both my prayers. I prayed that God would heal my mother and that my mother would not die knowing me in that shape, in that situation. I got help. I got clean. And... Uh, I lost my job, was losing my house, got a job, lost my good job, started selling used cars on a car dealership, and I was just miserable. And I thought, God, there's got to be something more. Well, the opportunity arose that I could move to Idaho. I had a sister out here. And I jumped on it. Had a yard sale pack what I had left and put it in a U-Haul and come to Idaho. And it was like a divine appointment because within two weeks I had a job at the mall. Within six months I bought a home. Decided to pick up the guitar again. Met Joni. Fell head over heels in love. We got married. We had a nice little house over here on Broadway and uh, even built a little white picket fence around the, around the house. It was like everything was complete. She had a little six-year-old daughter. I fell in love with her. 
She was a cutie pie. But the truth is, you can look complete on the outside. You can look like everything is fine. And there's this hole inside you that only God can fill. Everything started to fall apart. We could look at each other and say, I love you. And I knew she loved me. But we couldn't hold it together. Pretty soon the, the divorce work kept on coming up. And, and we were thinking, we don't want to fight like this anymore. And the fights were escalating. And we were, weren't hitting each other, but we were starting to break stuff. And we thought before we gave it up, we would go seek a counselor. And in seeking a Christian counselor, me and Joni gave our hearts to the Lord. There was a hole in our heart that only Jesus could fill. You can't fill it with a house. See, I always thought, this is what I need. I need a house. I need a good job. I need a wife. You know, when these things don't work, you need a wife, definitely. (laughs) You need a family. This is going to fix it all. When that's not complete, you build the fence. Oh, yeah, you know, you got to have the white picket fence. And you could fill it with stuff. And you can get a brand new truck. And you can get a better job and you get this and that. But it wasn't until we gave our hearts to the Lord that everything started to fit into place. Everything started to make sense. And that we knew why we had to go through all the things that we went through to get us to that place. And it's as though the Lord said, this is why I let you go through that stuff. That heartache, those bad relationships. Because you're a knucklehead. You do things the hard way. (laughs) You could have done it, you know, years ago. But you went the hard way. But I'm so grateful because he's blessed my marriage. And he showed us our part in the marriage. What we're supposed to fulfill. That I'm supposed to be that godly, spiritual head of my household. And it's not my way or the highway. It's our way. Let's agree on this together. And that's what Paul was saying. I had to go through all of that to get to that place where I counted all loss for Christ. And I love how he put it, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ my Lord. He goes, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You know, it's funny, the more and more I grow in the Lord, the more I realize all those things I thought were so important, they just become meaningless. 
you know, uh, we made an offer on a house just recently and, and uh, we prayed about it. And we've really gotten incredible peace in where we are is just fine. Because all of that is fleeting. It's all fading away. And that is in our home. And it's that excellence of knowing Christ. That's a treasure. And we begin to think more and more that all that is just nothing but rubbish. You know, what Paul, before his conversion, was breathing threats and murder against the church. He thought he was doing a great service for Jesus by killing Christians. But he went on Damascus Road and met the Lord on that road. And and a blinding light shone on Paul and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And you know, and I am amazed because every single one of us has a Damascus Road experience. We all have a story where Jesus met us in that place and he changed our lives. But what Paul was saying was, And let me repeat it. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. See, that relationship was still alive. What is Jesus doing in your life today? Is he alive and vibrant in you today? Jesus wants to be new right now. Paul said that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to be found in him serving and growing now, today. And he goes on to say, And not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. See, Paul was saying, as far as the law goes, I was blameless. But this same Paul that said that could also say, O wretched man that I am. Because you can outwardly be a pretty good hypocrite. You can put on a good front. You can do all the things that look right. You can look righteous and be inside rotten to the core. You can smile at somebody and say, get out of my face in your head and say, how are you today? See, you can walk a good life. You can do all the things that are right. You can seem blameless. You can do the best you can, upright and good, never steal, never lie, never cheat. You can be an up standing, good person. And all you have to do is slip up once. 
and it's all washed away. James says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of it all. Paul says, I want Christ's righteousness imputed upon me. I don't want what I had. I want the righteousness which comes by faith through Jesus Christ. Paul wrote also, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself it is the gift of God. Paul is saying, this is what I want. I want God's grace. I want God's favor. See, because I can blow it, and he knew it all along I would. And I can ask for forgiveness, and I know it's forgiven. But if I'm living by the law, I better get it all right. And there's no assurance ever in that because God knows my heart. And it all begins in the heart, doesn't it? And he goes on to say, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We all want to know him better, don't we? That's our desire. And what we're doing right now, we're opening up God's word. And it's a divine opportunity that God would reveal himself to us. And he goes on to say, that I may know him and his power. We all want power, don't we? We want that power that comes from Jesus. But he goes on to say, and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Well, taking it a little too far now, we don't want the fellowship of his suffering. See, the truth is, Jesus couldn't have experienced the resurrection if he hadn't first suffered on the cross for you and me. And in the same token, you and I can't experience the resurrected life that's available now. Remember Martha when she, she ran to Jesus and she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus told her, Martha, your brother will be raised from the dead. And she goes, yeah, yeah, Lord, I know in the resurrection in the last days, he will rise. He goes, no, I am the resurrection and the life. And he told Martha, roll away the stone. She goes, Lord, he stinks. He's been dead four days. Do I have to remind you? He stinketh, Lord. I mean, they could, the, the, the stone was big, but they could still smell the stench coming from the big stone. They're saying, Lord, please, don't make us roll the stone away. Martha, roll it away. And she rolled it away and said, Lazarus, come forth. 
And what I realize is that you and I need to die first. We have to experience the suffering, the fellowship of the suffering. See, a lot of times we come to the Lord and we think, I want to I be a new creation in, in, in Jesus. But we're not willing to bury the old man. We want to hold on to this other stuff. I'll give you this, Lord. I didn't like this anyway. But I got this, this little secret sin. I'm okay with that. I'll quit smoking. I'll quit my cussing. But I like my beer on the weekend. I like this. I got this little thing here. It's not a problem for me. And we never experience that abundant life in Christ. We never get to experience that full new creation that God wants to create in each and every one of us. Because we never surrender. We never give the Lord our whole life. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, because he really experienced the fellowship of the suffering and being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's saying, I haven't arrived. I haven't attained it. But the Lord has taken me there. I'm going. I know he's promised. Verse 12, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He's saying, I press on. It is so important to realize that God has not perfected us. We're a work in progress. He's changing us daily. And sometimes I can get really discouraged and think, I'm still a mess. I'm undone. And I have to realize the Lord is perfecting me day by day. See, and if Paul could say that, say, I have not arrived. I haven't got there. I'm pressing on. And the word is agonizo. I'm striving. I'm pressing on that I may obtain that. And then he goes on to say that I may obtain that for which the Lord has laid hold of me. And I'm so grateful that the Lord has laid a hold of me. He chose me. He got a hold of me. And he's transforming me. And it's so easy for me to get discouraged and think, I'm inadequate. I'm inadequate of what the Lord lays before me. And I always have to remember, he will finish that work in each and every one of us. I have to always remember that it's God laid hold of me. I am so grateful that he found me, laid hold of me, and promised that he would never let go of me. Verse 13, 
Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. So many people are hindered by their failures of the past, by the things that they did wrong, by the people that hurt them, or by achievements that they, that they had, and they're still living in the laurels of their successes. And Paul was saying, I don't look back. I press ahead. And that's what you and I need to do, is press forward. No one It is hard to move forward when you're always looking past. I look forward to the great things that God is about to do. I believe our greatest days are ahead of us. I look at the great things God has done here at Buell, Idaho, and I think much greater things God is going to do here at Calvary Chapel, Buell. We've only scratched the surface of what God is going to do in this place. God is just beginning to move. And God is just beginning to reveal the great things that he's going to do. And I just look forward to the great things that God is going to do. I've got no time to look back. And that's what Paul was saying. And he says, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Man, I love this line. Because I can't help but think of a runner, a long-distance runner, who prepares to run. And he trains. And he trains to run this, this run. And a great runner holds himself back. And he has this kick at the end, that last mile, where he lets all the runners go ahead of him. And that last mile... He kicks it into gear and says bye-bye. And what Paul was saying is, I press towards the goal of the prize. What Paul was saying is, I'm pressing towards the finish line. I'm pressing my chest against the, the tape. I'm running my race as to win. I want to be like that runner. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It is so hard sometimes to keep focus on all the things in this world that snares us. But to know that Jesus is our prize. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Turn to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Starting at verse 24. Do you not know that those that run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. When you watch the Olympic Games, it's an amazing thing to watch these runners because they train their whole life to run a race. And they train and they work hard. And have you ever watched them get up at that starting line and they get a few feet out and one of them stumbles and they're on their face and it's all over. It's done. Their chances of getting gold, silver, or bronze is over. And Paul says, these are perishable crowns. Even the one that wins, pretty soon the crowds die and the fanfare fades, and they have nothing but a ribbon and a piece of metal. And Paul was saying, I run for an imperishable crown. And that's my desire, is that I would run in such a way that I would get that crown, that when I appear before Jesus, I can throw my crowns before the Lord. We strive for a crown that, that we may give to Jesus when he appears. And believe me, gang, he's coming, and he's coming soon. And I really believe with all my heart that he's coming sooner than we think. If you look at everything that's going in prophecy that is being fulfilled before our eyes, his coming is real soon. Verse 15. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if any think you think think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. What Paul was saying is, let us be in one accord. Let us agree. And if there's something that we disagree about, 
God will reveal that truth to you. We don't need to squabble. And I can't believe how many times the church has squabbled and split over unbiblical situations. Color of the carpet. Should we pray before the service? Should we have one communion a month or two communions? Should there be electric guitar in the worship? Should there be drums? And people leave. And Paul's saying, you know, let us be in one accord. Let us walk rightly before God. And then he goes on to say, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who walk as you have us for a pattern. You and I should be able to say that exact same thing to our children, to our family. You should be able to say to your kids, follow me as I follow Christ. We should be a rightly example to those in the church and say, follow me. Do what I do. As I love the Lord, you so love the Lord. We should all be able to say that. Follow our pattern. Was Paul saying he was perfect? No. He was saying, as I follow Christ. Let Christ be our example. Verse 18, and he says, For many walk in whom I have told you often and now tell you weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. I am disgusted when I see televangelists on TV with a tear in their eye begging that you send your money to them. And they say, if you have faith, send your credit card number. And they fly around in Learjets. They own mansions on a hill, holiday retreats on beach resorts, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on vacations and charge it to the church. And he says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. It breaks my heart when I see guys like that turn people away from the true gospel, turn people away from the true Christ that I know, and turn people away from Christianity. And we've seen some of these guys, and you know they're not of God. What they teach, health and wealth, and prosperity, that's not the Jesus I see in my, God, in my Bible. This line really set me back who set their mind on earthly things. This struck me when I read it because we do that too, don't we? 
It's so easy to get caught up in acquiring things. See, it's okay to have nice things. It's okay to have a nice home. But when the things start to acquire you, instead of you owning possessions, they begin to own you. And it becomes like, look in my backyard. Look at my toys. I have more, I win. It's all right to have nice things as long as they don't have you. You know, I I thought about, it's all fleeting. A nice home, me and Joni will soon leave ours to someone else. Hope not real soon. You know, I was thinking about our house, and it's 105 years old. And I was sitting in my living room studying, and... uh, And I was thinking about 105 years ago, without electricity, without lights, without radio, television, they'd sit with an oil lamp. And I was sitting there thinking, wow, the families that went through this little house. It's been added on and added on and added on. We have the original outhouse that went with the house. And we'll all leave it behind, won't we? And Paul goes on to say, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for our Lord. Our minds aren't set on earthly things. Our goal is not to achieve worldly possessions and acquire as many toys as we accumulate. Our earthly estate shouldn't be our home. Jesus said, Jesus is building a special estate for you and me. Turn with me to 1 Peter 1. See, the, the very best that you and I can do is we're just camping out. The very best that we can fix up our house, it's still just a tent. We still have to give it a new paint job. We still have to fix the leaky, leaky roof. And it's wearing out. And this is what Peter says. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, already to be revealed in the last time. I want to store my treasures in heaven. And that's what Paul was saying. Store your treasures in heaven. This is not our citizenship. And he goes on to say,
also eagerly wait for the Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to James chapter 5. Starting at verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the earthly, early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And like I said earlier, I believe he's coming soon. And Paul was saying, we eagerly wait. Are we eagerly waiting for his appearing? He is coming soon. And he goes on to say, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. He is preparing a body for each and every one of us. A new glorious body. Turn with me to Corinthians chapter 15 and we'll end with this. In verse verse 51 he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? We shall all be changed. My heart desire is that I would see him before me, that I would be able to cast my crowns before him, and that the Lord would say to me, Well done, Fritz. For you have done well with everything that I've given you. And a lot of times I think the Lord hasn't given me much. He hasn't given me much to work with. But I want to serve him with everything that I have. And a lot of times we take our treasure and we bury it. We think, I have this. I want to at least present this to the Lord. Are we investing our treasure, our talents, our God-given gifts for the kingdom of God? Are we presenting everything that we have for his kingdom? Because we will stand before him one day. 
And I don't want to stand before the Lord with wood, hay, and stubble. I don't want to stand before the Lord with nothing to offer. I want to hear that well done, well done. Enter into the place of your rest. I want to be able to stand before the Lord with gold, silver, and precious stones. I want to be able to stand before the Lord with my crowns and cast them at his feet. And it says in the Bible that that Jesus is there and he wipes away tears. And I've often thought, why would Jesus be wiping tears away? And I believe that we will see the wasted time and the wasted things that we did when we could have been telling people about Jesus and investing in the kingdom. And we will stand before the Lord and say, I should have done more. I wish I would have told. I believed, but I didn't truly respond to that belief. I didn't feel the urgency that you were coming so soon. And I don't want the Lord to to come as a thief in the night. I want to be ready that if the Lord came today, I would say, yes, come, Lord Jesus, come. Are we investing our time, our resources, and our talents for him? And I really believe with all my heart, his appearing is real soon. Let's close in prayer. Lord, as we look for your coming, that we, that we may be found ready, not as a thief in the night, Lord. Help us to seek your kingdom. Help us to press towards you, Lord God, in our upward call in you. May we be found faithful. May we have crowns to cast at your feet, Lord. That's our heart desire, that we may be found faithful in all that you have given us. Lord, that we would be found telling others about you when you appear. Lord, uh, put that urgency in our heart, Lord, that we would not want anyone to perish without knowing you as Lord and Savior. Lord, that we would be a light in the world that we live in, in the jobs that we go to, in the families that we have. Help us to be ready, Lord, for your appearing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's close in a song. Let's all stand.
thank you. Lord, we just look forward to that day when uh, we see you face to face. 
Lord, better is one day in your house, Lord God. Lord, uh, that we would be glorified. Lord, that you would be glorified in us. Lord, bless our fellowship, Lord, and bless uh, the treats, Lord, that we have out here in the hall, Lord. Uh, just go, go before us, go with us. In Jesus' name, amen.